This morning, we are continuing our series, uh, Teach Us to Pray, which is a series we're in for the next, uh, really, three to four weeks on the Lord's Prayer. And this is week three, installment three, uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, phrase by phrase. Because in Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus, and apparently they saw something in Jesus that they wanted to be like, because they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And they petition him to kind of find the prayer model in which Jesus um, lived spiritually with the Father and, and prayed through. And so he said, okay, uh, let me do this. And he gives to us and gives to them specifically the Lord's Prayer, both as a description of prayer and a prescription of prayer. And so we take these words and we build our prayer life around them, but we also pray them word for word because these are the words that the Lord taught us to pray. And so this morning, uh, as we begin week three of Teach Us to Pray, let's do what we always do and allow the Lord to have the first word this morning. Let's pause. Uh, Let's be still. Let's sit in the silence and reorient ourselves and recenter ourselves into the love of the Father and his presence with us. So Holy Spirit, Lord of life, have the first word this morning. Our Father in heaven, the one who has made himself available to us. Some of us this morning, Lord, are coming in fragile. Some of us are coming in fractured in soul. Some of us are coming in absolutely discouraged. Some of us maybe this weekend even, feel like the bottom has fallen out of life and we're reeling. And we feel like we're living in a perpetual state of fog and anxiety and frustration and weight. And Jesus, we look to you this morning as our great high priest. You can sympathize with our weakness. You know it full well. It is a well-worn path with you. And so this morning we know that as we begin with a moment of stillness and a moment of quiet, we can just re-engage you as the one who is with us. And we can take our eyes off of the fog and the frustration, the chaos that may surround our soul and situation, and we can look to the one who is the Lord of our journey, knowing that in him there is hope. And in him there is comfort, and not some ethereal, distant way, but in a way that is close and tangible, and in a way that is intimate. So we welcome you this morning, Holy Spirit. Would you and your presence be medicine to our souls, healing to our bones, peace to our mind and our troubled hearts for those of us who were just reeling this weekend. We pray that you would have your way this morning. And would you teach us according to your word and instruct us in the way that you see fit. And God, would you take these words of mine, this fallible, flawed, finite 
person? And would you somehow use these words to speak truth and to speak life and to give us and provoke us more into kingdom life that you've called us into? Uh, We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, amen. Sometimes there's more to a story. Uh, sometimes we see something or come in contact with something and we think it's about one thing when really it turns out to be about something completely, completely different. We see this in a number of different ways. We see this in movies, don't we? The plot twist is the thing where we think the narrative is about one thing, but then there's a twist in the plot and we suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, we're dealing with something categorically different here. Uh, maybe a TV show, your favorite TV show, and the character development that they kind of interweave into it. You think that the character is kind of this kind of a character or dealing with this stuff or he has, or she has this backstory, but then as they develop the character, you're realizing, oh, wow, um, we're dealing with something completely different than what I thought of me. Uh, we see this again in a number of different ways, but we see this especially in the realm of sports. Specifically, college sports. For all you college NCAA fans in the house, um, look at the college sports, and we see these in the great rivalries of the NCAA. These rivalries, the OU and the OSU. Boomer Sooners and Cowboys, baby. Florida and Florida State. Uh, Dare I say, Auburn-Alabama rivalry. USC, uh, UCLA, and, and perhaps the greatest rivalry of all time, UCCS and PPCC, <laughs> going for the throat, hating each other. And for those of you, we see these in, in, the, in the college games, in these rivalry games, these bowl games in NCAA football, but, but you know, so often we can see and watch games and think it's about one thing, but then when it comes to these rivalry games, we realize, oh, wait a minute, this is about something completely different. And those of you who are college athletes or high school athletes or athletes in some way, shape, or form, you can attest full well to the fact that when you play just random teams, you're going for the W. You're trying to win it. That is the number one goal and priority. That's what it's about. But when you're playing a rivalry team, it's about something categorically different, isn't it? You're out for blood. You're out for vengeance. You're out for bragging rights. You're out to mop the floor and absolutely demolish them. It goes beyond the simple W. There is more to the story college rivalries, about to start March Madness. This will be on full display, but seeing something and thinking it's about one thing when realizing, oh, wait, we're dealing with something completely different. Well, this morning, uh, we're looking at a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that offers us and allows us to discover a deeper narrative than what we often see. Uh, And it's this phrase, hallowed be your name. Um, Week one, we looked at this overview, these misconceptions of our prayer life and what the Lord's Prayer serves in our lives of faith today. Last week, we looked at this address that Jesus um, calls uh, God, and that is Father, our Father who's in heaven, this omnipotent God who has made himself available to us. And when we call on God as Father, our hearts reawaken to the closeness and the intimacy and the proximity that we now have with the Father. But then Jesus says, 
In this second movement of the Lord's Prayer, he uses this phrase, hallowed be your name. Um, You know, in our prayer lives, uh, it can so often become the point of focus on us, on, on our needs and our petitions. God, I need a little more money in my bank accounts. That'd be nice. God, I'm saving up for this ring. It'd be really, really cool if you could just drop a couple grand in there and, and give me a little something to start with. Lord, I need peace here. God, I need provision here. It's all about us, and these prayers aren't necessarily wrong, but if we're not careful, our prayers can so often be us, our well-being, our success, our well-offness. And we see that in this prayer of Jesus, this hallowed be your name, we're dealing with a bit of a different narrative here. Uh, Many scholars have pointed out that the Lord's Prayer uh, consists of five different requests or five different petitions. And this prayer, hallowed be your name, is the first of these five petitions to come. And uh, Jesus starts one of five, right out of the gate by saying, hallowed be your name. And so this prayer essentially means, uh, let your personhood be supremely respected, revered, and honored. Uh, this is a statement of, of uh, or it's not, a, it's a request over than a statement. It's not this, oh yeah, God, you are holy. God, you are honored. You are revered. Okay, check. You got that down because you're God and obviously you're awesome. And so there you are. You're, you're hollowed. You're honored. But instead, it's this first request, this first movement of the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Let your name and let your personhood associated with that name be supremely respected, revered, and honored. Jesus starts off the Lord's Prayer on the right foot. Um, And it starts with what matters, and it starts with priority, and it starts with before all of our stuff. We're going to get to praying for our daily bread, and we're going to get to praying for forgiveness, and we're going to get to praying for all of that stuff. But before we do that, the first petition and the request of the Lord's Prayer is Jesus saying, hallowed be your name. Father, beyond our lives, let your name be found to be holy. Let your name be revered and respected beyond all else. And so it doesn't start with our needs, and it doesn't start with our petitions of success, and it doesn't start with our petitions of the pressure points that we feel in life, but instead it starts the focal point, our Father in heaven, this omnipotent God who has made himself available to us in intimate relationship and proximity, but hallowed be your name. It's the prayer that the psalmist attests to in the Psalms. It says, ascribe unto the Lord, the what? The glory due his name. This God ought to be honored and supremely respected and revered and put on his pedestal for all the world to see. Uh, This life then is not about our name being known. And it's not primarily about our kingdom being built, but this is about the name of God being honored, the name of God being revered, the name of God being the focal point of human history, his personhood being supremely exalted, and us living in the kingdom that he has established here on earth. And so I want to suggest this morning that praying the words, hallowed be your name, reminds us that our life is not about our life. 
When we pray these prayers, this, these words, hallowed be your name, we, we, we realize and we orient ourselves into the reality that at the end of the day, the supreme goal of our lives is not our lives. Uh, and the end of our is not our lives. It's not about our well-being. It's not about our well-offness. But instead, it is about the Lord's name being hallowed, revered, honored, worshipped, glorified. Um, it's not about having a better life. It's not about ha- being blessed, however we would define that term. Um, but this thing is all about the Lord. There is a different narrative at work. And the gospel really is about this supremely good and benevolent and, yes, omnipotent, but available and tender creator uh, ransoming for himself a people uh, for his name's sake and for his glory so that he may be honored in all creation. N.T. Wright puts it this way uh, in his book, Simply Good News. He says, the gospel is primarily that God, the generous God, the loving God, is being honored, will be honored, has been utterly and supremely honored in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel. The gospel is not about Jesus saving us for our own sake. Uh, The gospel is not that we were sinners, though we are, and we needed a savior, though we did. And so uh, God sent his son and he died for our own benefit. But, But the heart of the gospel is that God created for himself a people to showcase his nature and to put his goodness and to put his love and to put his life and to put the entirety of his personhood on full display and to reveal himself. And these people fell and these people were fractured and these people were fallen and then he restored them, both so that they could be beneficiaries of his goodness and his life, but more than that, so that he may be honored and that he may receive the glory and the highest honor and praise that's due his name. The Apostle Paul argues similarly in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 7 through 11, when he says this, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace. Sorry, that's cut off a little bit. Uh, The gift of God's ace. We'll go with that. Uh, Which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Uh, Okay, so this happened. Paul is the uh, proclaimer of the gospel. He's the witness to the Gentiles. And this grace and this salvation and, and this gospel was hidden for a particular reason. And Paul argues this in verse 10. This whole thing was hidden so that through the what? Come on, through the what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the church. 
that demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God to all creation. And the gospel is not about the people whom God has ransomed. And the gospel is not about the church just being this body of Christ, okay, whatever that means, floating around through life, white-knuckling it, and then eventually getting to an afterlife. But instead, the church, the gospel, Jesus and his redemptive work was about uh, eventually the church and the people of God being put on display, put on a pedestal to display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and the principalities and authorities and all creation and in the process, his name being honored and glorified in all creation. You see, there is more, there is a different narrative at work than just our own stuff and our own salvation, and our own forgiveness of sins. But the heart of the gospel is that God has revealed himself and is now uh, receiving the honor and the glory due his name. And so then uh, we can argue that God does not exist to build our own kingdom. God does not exist to uh, make us feel comfortable. God does not exist to fill our bank accounts. God does not exist to to satisfy us. He exists. Uh, He's self-sufficient in nature. He is supremely good, supremely holy, and he has made himself available to creation so that he can be honored and glorified. And so, therefore, the purpose and end goal of our lives is not um, our own well-offness, and it's not us finding ourselves, oh man, what, what am I, Enneagram, am I, a, am I a five, am I a two, Myers-Briggs, am I an INFP, maybe I'm an ENFP, I don't know, maybe I'm, an, maybe I'm even an S, uh, an F, maybe a thinker, I, I feel like I'm a feeler, but strength finders, okay, uh, maybe I'm futuristic, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm empathetic. When it, God doesn't exist to reveal to us necessarily primarily who we are, nor does he exist uh, to give us some satisfaction of our well-offness, though he might, or this satisfaction of soul that, that we feel good about ourselves. Because if these are the primary pursuits of our lives, um, we, we can go to humanism, because humanism has a term for this, and that is self-actualization. Being the best version of us we can possibly be. Living this life that feels fulfilled and satisfied, and we found that uh, the reason why we ought to live in and of ourselves. And if we put these focuses on the pedestal as our primary pursuits, uh, I would argue that we are living as humanists under the guise of following Jesus. Because it never has been, nor will it ever be about our stuff, about our calling or our vocation or our uh, success in life. Though these may be beautiful byproducts of following Jesus, they are idols if we make them first place in our lives. But instead, this thing is about bringing honor and glory and highest praise to God through our lives so that the church together corporately may showcase the goodness and the nature of God to all creation. And so therefore, every day, the prayer of our lives ought to be, Father, hallowed be your name. 
your name be honored today. God, how can I honor your name in my life today? How can I bring glory to you? How in the relationships uh, that I'm engaged in, how can I showcase you and your goodness and your nature? Lord, the conversations that I'm giving myself to today, how can I use my words to, uh, to exalt you and bring you glory and praise? How can I use the works of my hands as worship unto you? God, how can I take this ordinary of my life and recognize that this is in fact sacred ground upon which you tread and worship you through the ordinary things of my day-to-day life. Hallowed be your name. The church uh, throughout history, century after century, millennia into the second millennia, has uh, generally attested to this fact over the years that this thing is not about us. And we see this in the patristic writings, you know, the church fathers, We see this in the accounts of the church throughout church history. But um, I think a beautiful expression of this that really showcases the heart of the gospel and the heart of the church as it pertains to their true purpose in life is found in this 17th century catechism that, uh, that poses a question and then poses an answer to that question. And the question is this. I'll have it up on the screen for you. What is man's chief end? What do you think about that? Think, think for a second. How would we answer that question? What is man's chief end? Well, um, satisfaction, um, finding identity, finding who you really are, who God made you to be, um, maybe engaging in a vocation that's both fulfilling and um, satisfactory, and I don't know. But the church over the years has attested to this reality that man's chief end is this, and you can put the next one up. Here's the answer. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The focal point of our lives, the focal point, the supreme call and chief end of humanity and us individually is not our stuff, but it's first to glorify God. Hallowed be your name, that the name and the personhood of the Father may be supremely honored and revered. And there's a nice byproduct, to enjoy him forever. And this, we see, these are how the first two phrases of the Lord's Prayer work beautifully together. Because it's our Father who's in heaven. There is proximity, there is intimacy, there is relationship there. But hallowed be your name. Your name be glorified. Your name and your kingdom be built. Not ours, but yours. You be put on full display. And as we as the beneficiaries of this enjoyment and this life, this kingdom life that God has extended to us. As we glorify God, we see that things fall into place. We see that uh, the identity that we were so white-knuckled onto, I gotta find who I am, I gotta find my vocational direction, and I gotta find that spouse, and I gotta find clarity in these different areas of my life. We find that though they're not necessarily answered in the timetable in which we would like to be answered, they fall into its appropriate context because if we're glorifying God, then we have met our supreme and chief goal to honor him. Hallowed be your name. There is enjoyment, yes. Uh, There is true satisfaction, yes. True communion with God yields true satisfaction of soul, yes. But let's get our priorities straight first. It's first and foremost about hallowed be your name. You be put on full display, Father. And when we orient ourselves into this, 
um, everything else kind of makes sense. Because if we find success and we're glorifying God, uh, great, awesome. Success is a great byproduct. If we feel sad, uh, you know, fulfilled in our lives, great. If we find that spouse, great. If we feel like we have traction in life, then great. But if not, and God is being glorified through our lives and we're being witnesses of him and we're putting him on full display for the people in our sphere of influence to see and we're using the work of our hands and everything we can give attention to as worship unto him, then we have met our chief end and everything else can be byproducts um, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so this morning, really the question then Uh, in response is, what part of our lives have we made about us? Um, In what areas of our lives have we assumed that our life is really about our life? I'll kind of put God over here and compartmentalize him, and that that, that has a special place in my life instead of that being the whole and informs and saturates and pervade every single part of our beings. Where in our lives uh, have we made our life about our life? And how can we come back to this chief end of humanity, this chief end of ourselves to hollow God's name, to bring him honor and to bring him praise and to revere him above all else? Because when we're there, we're starting on the right foot. And it's there that Jesus begins, not our needs, but but the Lord's honor and glory. Hallowed be your name. We'll get to the provision. We'll get to the, the satisfaction stuff. We'll get to everything you need in your life. But first, let's get our priorities straight. Hallowed be your name, Father. If I don't feel successful, if I don't feel satisfied, if life doesn't look the way I want it to look, and yet I'm still honoring and living a life for you, and I'm still glorifying you, and I'm still bearing witness to you, then everything is going to be okay because I am in the sweet spot. I have met the chief end of humanity. And not that we ever necessarily arrive to that, but we can take comfort in that even when life Uh, is disoriented, and even when there's fog, and even when there's frustration, and even when life isn't panning out the way we like it to, um, thank God that our chief end is not our life, that we're actually about something bigger. Hallowed be your name. And so um, let's stop, and let's do some heart work right now, some assessing of soul. Um, So go ahead, just close your eyes, posture yourselves, And you know, for some of us, this is far from a fun idea. Ah, I don't like that. I don't like that it's not about me. I kind of want it to be about me. Some of us are so white-knuckling the things of our lives. Um, Some of us are so obsessed with our own stuff and building our own kingdom And if that's you, and if that resonates with you, there is no condemnation here, but uh, there is invitation on the table for you to realign yourself with the true purpose. Life was not made to be lived apart from uh, pursuing and hollowing the name of God. Everything else will be disoriented if our priorities fall out, but just look at your lives for a second. Father, search us and know us. See if there's any impure way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, as the psalmist says. God, we repent individually and corporately of the times when we make our lives about our lives. 
God, we repent of the times that we assume that our own uh, flourishing and our own burgeoning and our own growth is about us when this whole thing is about you. And these gifts and these graces that you so lavishly pour out on us, Lord, they are uh, amazing and bountiful byproducts. But Father, we don't want ever to put these things in first place uh, or is the number one in our lives. But Lord, before and beyond all else, hallowed be your name. This father who has become close, this father who is intimate, this father who has made himself known, let your name be honored. You be glorified. And you do with us as you see fit in the process. Father, would you give us clean hands and a pure heart? Would you continue to go to work in our lives and help us to awaken to the reality that our life is not about our life, but there's a kingdom here. There is a purpose here. There's a narrative here uh, that's way beyond us, and it will be written um, after we're dead and gone, and we'll be a part of it for eternity and eternity with you, bringing glory to your name for the ages to come. So, Lord, we pray that as we discuss and as we nuance these ideas, would you make them concrete in our hearts? Would you continue to provoke us? Would you continue to challenge us? Would you continue to show us how our life is, in fact, not about our life? And help us to live in surrender and obedience uh, and focus with you. We love you, and we give this time of discussion to you. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, you guys, um, discussion questions on the screen. Enjoy it, use it as a guide, nuance it, uh, contextualize it, and God bless you guys as you discuss. We'll pick this up in about 15, end with the Lord's Prayer, and then be out of here. All right? Love you guys. Much love. God bless you. All right, everybody. Bring those conversations to a close. Put a pin in it. The narrative of our lives matters, um, but it must find its appropriate context. And um, that is the beauty of what the Lord's Prayer um, shows to us. So we're going to put this up on the screen. Let's all stand and pray this together as we always do. Um, And you know, I want to encourage you, um, as young adults, we are making this incarnational. Uh, I've encouraged all of us to pray this on a daily basis as we move through this series. And I want to challenge you, continue doing that. Adopt that into your uh, morning, evening, whatever prayer time, and, and really um, internalize uh, what we've been talking about, and it, uh, it'll make it beautifully incarnational in the process. But let's pray this together. It's up on the screen. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.